Hello, I'm Dr. Ruth Schmidt-Nevin, clinical psychologist and child psychotherapist. Welcome to Talking Child Development, the podcast of the Association of Child and Family Development in Melbourne, Australia. The association is a not-for-profit organization that aims to disseminate information about all aspects of child and family development to other professionals and the wider community. In these podcasts, we'll be going a little deeper into the whys and wherefores of child, adolescent and family life. We want to get away from a focus that's purely behavioral and quick fix based to look more deeply into issues and ask questions about why things happen in families the way they do. You can find more information on our website at www.acfd.com. You will also be able to access all the references mentioned here at the end of the podcast. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Beulah Warren, a psychologist who has been an Australian pioneer in infant parent mental health. Over 40 years ago, she began her career as a research psychologist with premature infants. She trained with Dr. Berry Brazelton at Harvard University, on the Neonatal Behaviour Assessment Scale and became a trainer on the scale. In 1991, Bueller received a fellowship to study early intervention with parents and infants linked with the Graduate Certificate Program in Infant Mental Health at the Merrill Palmer Institute, Wayne State University in Detroit, USA. This experience was seminal for Bueller in her joining the international infant mental health community. Bueller was the inaugural coordinator of the Master of Infant Mental Health Program at the New South Wales Institute of Psychiatry. She is a foundation member of the Australian Association of Infant Mental Health and a past president of the Council of the Tresillian Family Care Centres in New South Wales. In 2014, Bueller was given the World Association of Infant Mental Health Award for outstanding contribution to the World Association for Infant Mental Health and its affiliates. Bueller has worked in hospital and community settings over many years and currently offers consultation to agencies and supervises practitioners. She has contributed to numerous publications and together with Dr. Bijou Blick, she has also produced videos for parents about social interaction and communication with babies and toddlers. I have taken one of these videos called Getting to Know You around the world in my training seminars and can attest to how informative and moving it is. Welcome, Bueller. I know that you are passionate about helping parents to see the unique qualities of their baby and to better understand their own role in the infant's development and their emerging relationship with their baby. Can you tell us how you would go about this in your work? Thank you, Ruth. Um, I'd like to start by saying it just depends on where you're working, if you're working in the hospital context or in private practice or in the community. And I think I can explain this best by how I became, uh, became interested in the field. There were two things that I that come to mind for me. When in the 1960s, my husband and I were working in London 
and I was working at a day centre for young drug addicts. And I, one night I called, I suggested that the young people bring their parents in. And I remember sitting with these parents of these young people in London and thinking that if we wanted to help families, it was too late to start when the children were adolescents. So, but we needed to work with families much younger. So I came home and enrolled in a psychology degree at Macquarie University. And then I jumped forward about 12 years when I was attending the childbirth education class reunion when our babies were six weeks old. And sitting around in the group were all these new parents. Some of us were, some were newborn, um, their first baby, but it was our third baby. So I was quite relaxed at this meeting. But one of the mothers said to me, or said to the group, you prepared us for childbirth, but nobody prepared us for a baby. And it was that statement that helped me change my direction and uh, retitle my master's program and begin the work with infants and parents. Um, and it was in that same year that I met Barry Brazelton and trained on the Brazelton Neonatal Assessment Scale. Uh, so in the hospital context, using the Brazelton Scale was an ideal way to help the parents understand their little infant. Um, it is a beautiful way of showing the strength of the babies. Nowadays, the NBO, which is an observational scale, is based on the Brazelton scale, and it, it is used by many in many hospitals in Australia, but particularly, well, in Europe as well, and in North America. As, so in the hospital context, having that tool to introduce the baby to the parents is ideal. In the community, um, the mothers usually, it's when the baby's three to four months as a rule that the mothers come along with some issue that they want to discuss. Um, I always insist that the mother brings her baby with her, um, which I think is crucial because then I can see how the baby reacts to me. How does the baby use the mother when I speak to the baby? And, um, and then what is the communication between the two of them? I share my observations of the baby with the mother and often point out to her things that indicate her significance to her little baby, things that they really, they observe, but they don't see them in the same significance that I can. So I'm really interested in the fit between the mother and the baby. That's so important. And I so uh, take your point earlier about the fact that when you're working with adolescents, not that one shouldn't work with adolescents, but often it's a bit too late. And I think sometimes the sort of reference to working, offering a preventative service uh, or early intervention, calling work with adolescents early intervention, I think really misses the point. I think early intervention, as you say, is, is the baby, the, the birth of the baby and maybe even before. Um, I see that in your consultation to agencies and in your supervision for practitioners, 
you encourage and endorse reflective practice. Um, we live in a very behaviorally bound world that favors strategies and advice giving. So how would you describe reflective practice and what are its advantages? Um, to me, reflective practice is when the practitioner is sensitive to his or her own internal processes and how these processes influence the interaction that she is having or he is having with the mother and baby. The practitioner is also aware that there are internal processes that the mother is experiencing, which will be instrumental in influencing her response to the therapist. And so it's important to be aware of the parallel process between the, what's being said vocally, but also the internal processes of both. And in the supervision, of course, the same thing is happening. The, the practitioner is talking about what they're experiencing as they result, as they uh, present the, their experience with the mother and her infant. So there's several layers of the interaction, but reflective practice is when we have the capacity to think of those things without being defensive and owning what is happening internally as well as what we're saying externally. Thank you very much. I think that explains it very well. And that links with a question I'd like to ask, which is a bit controversial. Um, I mentioned earlier uh, our behaviorally bound world in which anxious parents often want to have an immediate answer to their question or their confusion about the, their baby. And there are several writers who respond to this uncertainty by presenting what I'd call a management blueprint for handling the infant. And they urge parents to follow this for an easier life. These blueprints strike me as very rigid and actually not even developmentally appropriate. What are your views about this? I think the, the blueprint implies that there's one size fits all, and that can't possibly be true because every baby and every mother and every mother baby diet is different. And it's those differences that will determine how they fit together and how they work together. Um, for instance, the age of the baby, what mother has already learned about the baby's preferences and behavior, and the babies have different developmental needs at different ages, so that it depends very much on where the baby is at as to what, what should come out of the discussion between mothers and babies. Also, mothers have several pieces of information and experience which feed into their understanding of their baby's behaviour and what she's hoping to achieve um, and what she feels she should achieve. And what are these expectations the mother puts on herself? And I think it's much more important to listen carefully to what the mother talks about and explore, explore with her what she would like to achieve, what is her goal at this point in the infant's development, and to just talk about that together. Um, I think that very often we are addressing the parent's anxiety. And if we can understand what that's about, 
then we can understand what the needs are that have to be met. I think, for instance, mothers get very anxious about when they have to return to work. And this creates a lot of anxiety that needs to be addressed, but it can't be addressed too early um, because it's inappropriate in terms of the baby's development. Because a baby, mum's going back to work at six months, it's quite inappropriate to address that at three months. It's much better to think about it as we're dealing with the little six-monther and what are the challenges then for baby and mother. Absolutely. Um, uh, I was very interested to hear about your work with premature infants and their parents. Can you tell us about your research in this field and the findings as it's such a difficult time for parents? Um, yes, I, I just, our work with premature infants though was a joint project between psychologists and physiotherapists. And it was an intervention at significant points over the first 12 months, focusing on both motor development and psychosocial development. But it was several decades ago when our care in the intensive care nursery was very different to what it is now. So it's fortunately nowadays, the nursing and care of infants in intensive care is very different. But if we think about what was happening then and what our research addressed, um, the care of the babies was in, in their little isolates um, for many hours. Parents visited, of course, and parents were able to touch their babies. But for the parents, it was a sense that they didn't really control their babies. They didn't know their babies. Um, they felt that the nurses were the experts with their babies. And the nurses were the ones who knew their babies. Um, so it was, they, in a way, it, part of the research was helping them understand their babies. So as the babies were discharged from the hospital, we, we did a developmental assessment as a way of helping the parents understand their baby as they took their baby home. Um, what our research addressed was the unhelpful um, behaviours that the babies had acquired because of the premature experience. For example, the babies had been nursed for many hours on their backs in their isolates. And the consequence of that over many weeks was that the baby's extensor muscles were much more developed than their lateral, their, front, their frontal flexor muscles. And so when the mothers took the babies home, they had very straight backs and they sat up on the mother's arms, which didn't help the baby cuddle into the mother and was often interpreted as the, ba the baby not wanting to be cuddled, which of course is nonsense. And the other, um, so one of the, in the intervention key points was to wrap the baby for quiet times and for sleep. And wrapping the baby curled in helped the baby gain that flexion, flexion that they needed to balance the extension. Um, the other issue was that Babies were, premature babies were very easily overwhelmed. 
Um, so the when a parent wanted to talk with their baby, they had to, first of all, wait for the baby to be ready and go at the baby's pace in terms of establishing eye-to-eye -eye contact and tracking and uh, following. So it was very easy to overwhelm the little cream babies. So the, the intervention was geared towards addressing these problems for the infant. But of course, what hasn't changed is the parent's experience of having a premature baby, because it is such a disruption to the pregnancy process. And so many parents find it, and it is, if you've never been in an intensive care nursery, to suddenly find that's where your baby is, um, perhaps 10, 12 weeks early, it's a very scary experience for parents and creates a lot of anxiety. Another big problem is parents visiting their baby. If it's a firstborn, it's relatively simple. You spend all your time in the nursery. But if it's a second or third baby, the mother has to divide her time between care of her older children and care of the newborn. And that's a very difficult position for parents to be in. So there are still, there's still a lot of anxiety for parents at this time and they do need a lot of support. So that, that's a very, it's very confronting, isn't it? I think as you describe it, it's a very confronting experience on, on all levels. But I'm also very interested in how the physiological and the psychological connect. You know, it's so fascinating that you did this research with physios. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that the stiffness of the baby that <clears throat> so easily could be interpreted as the baby not wanting to cuddle into the mother or wanting to step away from the mother um, really had nothing to do with that, but, but how the baby was being fed. So it's good to know that a lot of these systems have changed over the years. Absolutely. Um, just, you know, we're talking quite a bit about uh, anxiety, which is a core feature of all parenting, of course. But it's it really is at its uh, at its great height during uh, just after the baby's birth during pregnancy in the in the early months perhaps even early years, and one of the things I've become aware of is that young mothers and fathers seem to connect very differently with each other from the way we may have done when we had children. I think you know in what I would call the olden days, which is not so long ago, mothers were invited into mothers groups you know, physical face-to-face -face mothers groups where they would be, and these would be run formally or informally by the maternal and child health nurses. And I still think that's actually a very good resource, but everything now seems to be done online. And the community, particularly of mothers has become virtual. And I wonder what your thoughts are about this. Well, I agree with you absolutely. And I think it was made particularly difficult last year during the COVID. 19 problem. Um, I, I have a young client and her baby was born during that time. So she didn't have a chance to go to a face-to-face -face group, um, nor to visit the early childhood nurse on a regular basis. And I think they have played over the years played a, a very significant role for new mothers. Um, there are a couple of stories that and I think if she doesn't go there, she's losing that contact with somebody who is an expert and who can help her with her baby. 
I remember a, a, an early childhood nurse telling me one day that she had a, a new mother who was coming and she was coming every week. And uh, the nurse said to her, you don't need to come every week. This had been going on for some months. He said, you don't need to come every week. You're doing so well with your baby. And the new mum said to her, yes, but you're the only person who tells me I'm doing well with my baby. And that was such an important thing for her who didn't have relatives nearby and was quite an isolated person. The other part is that I think that the babies have missed out over this period as well, because babies do observe other babies if it's a group of mothers and babies sitting around together. And I think that's been a, a big myth for little babies. Um, and so I, I don't think that the virtual in any way replaces the face-to-face -face contact from new mothers and their children. Yes, I think it's a, it's a pity, isn't it? Um, and this leads me to my next question, which is, that um, as a clinician, I, I've run an under fives counselling clinic and I found that so many of the problems presented by young children and their parents concerning feeding, sleeping and toileting have invariably had some connection with the circumstances surrounding the birth of the child and their infancy. In particular, the unresolved issues around the birth, if, it, if it's been difficult or if there were other problems. Have, have you come across any similar findings about how issues of infancy sort of leach into early childhood? I, I think this reminds me how important it is to get a very detailed history of the baby, because I agree with you. Sometimes <clears throat> these issues come up months or even years later. Um, for instance, who decided to have a baby? Was this a mutual decision? or was it one parent over the other? Um, and when they decided to have a baby, or was it an accident? Um, how did they feel about it? What, how did the mother feel when she realized that she was pregnant? And what about the dad? Was this significant for him? And, and then I think every aspect of the pregnancy right through to the birth needs to be considered how was the pregnancy? Was it a difficult one? Was she able to work for a little while or did, did she feel she had to give up work? Um, and so these, or any one of these factors can have an influence on how the baby is accepted and how it, um, it fits in with their plans for each other. And I think that often when something has occurred, it, it, it doesn't realize that they don't, the couple don't realize what an impact this could have on them. I remember one young mother, the couple came to see me at about nine months and there was still discord between them, the couple. Uh, the little fellow was nine months and doing relatively well. But the mother talked about when the baby was born and the baby being taken to the nursery and the mother being left behind and the father going with the baby to the nursery and she was left alone to have the stitches and felt very abandoned and there was still a fear of her of that she was going to be abandoned and this was still a difficulty between them in terms of their care of the baby but I think it is very different 
for different people. And uh, I remember the birth of our first baby 53 years ago in the Queen Charlotte Hospital in, in Britain, uh, which was a huge maternity hospital. And after the baby was born, the little fellow was taken off to the nursery and my husband left me to go and ring relatives in Australia on the public phone outside the ward. And he was gone and I was left completely alone. But it was, it was such a, a tremendous high experience for me that I was so excited about it. And everybody, every staff member who dashed into the theatre that night, I would greet them with, oh, I've had a baby. And they would simply brush it off and, yes, dear, we know, and rush out of the room again. So it just depends on the individual. So you can't assume that people are going to have the same response uh, like to any of these aspects. Some people are delighted with the news of having a baby, but others right at the beginning are confronted by what this responsibility is going to mean. Absolutely. And I suppose the whole question of how the impact that that has on the couple that you've just mentioned and on their relationship and that it can be a maturing experience or it can be the opposite or there can be a complaint sometimes on the part of women that the birth of the baby meant they had to grow up overnight or they matured overnight but they sometimes feel perhaps that their partners haven't gone along with this, on the same journey as it were or that they've had to grow up by virtue of being the mother and that there's some kind of gap between where they are as a parent and where their partners are and um, I, I think there's a lot of focus, isn't there, on, on the, having the baby and on uh, managing the birth, but not a huge amount once the baby's actually there. And, and I've, I've also gathered from the research that it's almost impossible to talk to parents about a postnatal experience. You, people who are about to have a baby, it's as though they switch off, they can't hear about what it's going to be like. And it's, it's a kind of normal, natural thing that we are, we are focused on, on the very, on the next thing we have to do and we can't think beyond that. But then the problem is who is around once the baby's actually there? Yeah, I agree with you absolutely on both those points, which is, of course, why I got into this in the first place. Is, and, and it's so true. I can remember myself, you, uh, particularly with your first baby, you are so obsessed with the birth process and what that may or may not be like. But I think this has got a particular flavour for mothers these days because young mothers are educated um, or young women are educated to be independent, to if you move into a steady relationship, then you share everything. You share the responsibilities of the house. You both work, you contribute your money together. And there's this shared experience. But when a baby comes along, well, first of all, it's only the woman's body who really, which really changes. But then once the baby is born, it's her life which is changed and not the husband's. And several mothers these days have mentioned this to me. It's, um, and I think it's because A, women are better educated, they've moved into higher positions in their work, and very often they have quite a lot of responsibility at work, and suddenly they're at home with a little tiny baby, and they don't particularly feel equipped 
to deal with that. Uh, so, and so mothers have said how difficult it is to uh, handle that change in relationship with uh, their partner. But the partners were used to prepare food, do help with housework. And it's like with the mother at home, they think that um, the mother with her spare time will be able to do the necessary preparation of meals. The other thing that I think is interesting is that so many women feel that their jobs haven't prepared them for having a baby. And I remember a young lawyer who was probably in her 30s telling me one day when the baby was about four months, he said, Bueller, I know what the problem is. When I was a lawyer, I could, I could handle my job having material ready for the, bar, the barrister. I could predict what he was going to need and I'd have all the files and reference material ready and I'd take it to the courthouse and he'd ask for something and it'd be there and I could predict what he was going to need and meet that need. But he said, with this little fellow, I haven't got a clue of what he wants. I can't predict anything from one day to the next. And I thought, I thought it was such a beautiful account. She was a yes. very intelligent young woman. And the other group that have difficulty are the school teachers. They've controlled a classroom of 35 or six, six-year-olds, not a problem, beautifully. And suddenly they've got a little baby that they can't control and they can't predict. So I, there's a real need. And, and, of course, you can't predict that's how it's going to be. Um, when you're pregnant, but it is why I think parenting groups have been so important pre-birth, but also post-birth. Absolutely, yes. I think the idea of control is very important here, isn't it? It is. That somehow the baby's there to be controlled. <laughs> uh, and uh, really, uh, I always think of the, the idea of the baby as a real person. You know, yeah. you wouldn't want to control anybody else. Why would you want to control the baby? Um, but, you know, all the things you've been talking about, and we know from clinical evidence and research, that infancy in the early years are so crucial to later child and adult development and mental health. Do you think that this important message has actually reached government and relevant agencies? And do you think we're doing enough to support babies, young children and their parents? Uh, oh, no, I don't think we're doing enough. I think there are some agencies and government departments that are more aware of the significance of the early years on later development and mental health in a general way, but not in a nuanced way. Um, does it, I think, does the government provide for all new mothers an allowance for a year so that she can be home caring for her baby? And, and can spend that time because we know that having those early months with the mother and the mother being secure, knowing that she can spend the time with her baby is crucially important. Um, and do we make it possible for fathers to spend time at home with their babies? If they're lucky, they might get a fortnight of maternity leave, but it's very meager really, and yet, we think of countries where there is respect for the new family and time given to the parents to have time with their children. 
uh, in Denmark, for instance, where we've got friends, um, they get the mother gets at least 12 months and the dad also gets a block of time. We had a young couple, Danish couple, who came to spend a month with us after the birth of the second baby because they were both on their parental leave and which was supported for them. And they came, which was so good because they came with their two little children and we were able in a way to be surrogate grandparents, which gave them a chance to build on their relationship a little bit. Um, and so it's, I think that we don't appreciate the significance of this period in the way that other countries have learnt. And that's, there's a reason why the Danish people, are, by survey after survey, are found to be the happiest people in the world. And I'm thinking their respect for little children and the development of the baby and the family relationships has something to add to that. Well, that's fascinating. I didn't know that. So that's, you know, good for the Danes. It's amazing. And um, I, I so agree, you know, the, the idea of, of maternal leave uh, and, and paternal leave, and, and then very often for women, they can go on maternity leave and then they lose their jobs or they don't get the job back that they had before. Um, and then as for fathers, you know, the, the companies that consider themselves to be family friendly, I mean, that's just like a, a statement that they put out, but the evidence of that is pretty thin. I, I think, you know, really, it's it's not it's not very impressive. And just finally, in an ideal world, what changes would you like to see with respect to supporting infants and their parents in the beginning of their journey into life? What do you think would be the best kind of services that we can offer? Well, <clears throat> leading on, I think longer parental leave for new parents both mothers and fathers, I think that's crucial. But, but then I think there's the education about early development and early relationships and the consequence of later development. There's no reason why that can't be taught at schools. Education uh, to start at school, uh, both in primary and high school. And I remember many, many years ago um, <clears throat> hearing of a preschool where they did their own infant observation, <clears throat> where a, a mother had a, who'd had a new baby took the little baby along to the preschool once a week. So just like in the psychotherapy training, you go and observe a mother and a baby. This mother would bring the baby along to the preschool and the little children would watch what was happening that week with the baby and talk to the mum about what had been happening. And I think that's such a brilliant that's thing. fantastic, yes. That yes. wonderful thing. Now, that could happen <clears throat> in every grade of school. So the little baby came along and the, uh, the children were able to talk with the mum about what it's like to have a baby and what, how this baby develops and grows. Um, and I think that that would lead to much more respect and understanding about the special needs of new parents with their babies. Um, in terms of services, well, I think the education, and it's interesting that now with the, all of this, um, the revelation about 
uh, assault and abuse, then there's been a big emphasis on educating young people in terms of relationships. And I think that is crucial, teaching children the value of relationships and respect for each other. In terms of a service, I think that there ought to be home visiting, home-based home services for all new mothers for the first year of life. Some areas this occurs, but not in all areas. I think that it could be a crucial help to helping young mothers. Um, and then the, the home visitor could also not only have checks on the baby, but checks on the mother as well. How was she feeling? What did she need? What help would she like? Uh, I think it would be make things so much easier. And then I think there could be a, another service which was funded, which was for babysitting, because one of the things a lot of mothers talk about is not having nobody to look after the baby so she and her husband can have some time alone together. So a service that provided that minimal cost because, of course, there are babysitting services, but they're not available, available to people who aren't wealthy. Um, and I suppose that if we think about it, we need the community to be reawakened to the phrase of it takes a village to raise a child. Um, and so that we need to have everybody respecting parenting and motherhood and the welfare of mothers with, and fathers with young children. I, I so agree. I think it's, uh, it's very interesting, you know, uh, that you were sort of referring to this, this idea of uh, respect and, you know, sexual behaviour and so on and the, the um, various courses. I don't even know who developed it that they were going to hand out to schools and the education department and they were all so terrible terrible that uh, the that people have have just said you know these that's like a joke you know so then they, they, they're rejecting it although it's already costs over a million dollars or more so someone it's, it's absolutely extraordinary um but i think what the point you're making which is so important is that it's not just about sex and sexual behavior it's about relationships and that is what is missing so much of the time, as though you can separate that out from relationships, which doesn't mean that you're necessarily encouraging the young children, the young people to go off and have babies, but it's as though it all hangs together, doesn't it? It does. It's it about, does. and it's also about their own experience of being babies, their own experience of being children. It's, it's going both back in time to reflect on, their, on the earlier part of their lives and going forward in time to look at how they want to be, or how yeah. they think they're going to be. So I, I think it's so absolutely crucial. And I love your idea of the babysitting service, you know, and I again, you know, so much money goes into very weird projects. Yes. <laughs> very yes. weird things. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I, I think that's a fantastic idea. So thank you so much for all these very rich and, and fabulous uh, ideas and to really hear from your the wealth of your experience. Thank you so much, Buna. It's my pleasure, Ruth. Thank you. Thanks very much. Mm -hmm.